This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There is a place for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The first reading comes from Proverbs 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her animals. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servant girls. She calls from the highest places in the town. You that are simple, turn in here. To those without sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of my wine I have mixed. Lay aside immaturity and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer wins abuse. Whoever rebukes the wicked gets hurt. A scoffer who is rebuked will only hate you. The wise, when rebuked, will love you. Give instruction to the wise, and they will become wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will gain in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. The second reading comes from the book of Ephesians chapter 4. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. The gift he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, but people's trickery by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking with truth and love. We must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From him the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. You're invited to stand for the hearing of the gospel. The gospel today comes from John, the 15th chapter. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant doesn't know what the master's doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I'm giving you these commands so that you may love one another. Please be seated. 
I love this, this banner that was done for this series. Discipleship is a way of life. It is a way of life. And one of the things, one of the ways that we know that something is alive is it grows, it changes, it matures. One of the earliest memories I have is one day looking down at my feet and figuring out what those bulges on the front of the shoes were for, that that's where the big toe went. And once I got that straight, I knew which shoe went on which foot. And I still remember with a sense of triumph how powerful I became in that moment with the ability to distinguish right from left, shoe from shoe. I also remember riding my tricycle and looking up at our house and for the first time having it dawn on me that Valparaiso wasn't the name of our house. It was the name of the town. And all of a sudden, my horizon got bigger. And I realized that there was a much bigger world out there than I had been used to imagining. As we get older, we go through moments like that, thresholds where our consciousness and the way that we relate to the world and to God grows and expands. I've certainly seen this in um, religious instruction. We have, at different ages, different abilities to think of and understand, think of and think of and understand God. That's right. Um, oftentimes, we would have catechism students do faith statements, and one of the questions that I would ask on those was, who is God? for you. And almost invariably at that age, God looks like a parent. God is someone who protects, looks over, um, listens to us, um, is there in times of need, provides for us. It's a natural way to understand who God is at that moment in time. But as we get older, and as we have more experiences, that changes. I can still remember coming up to that question that so many young people come up against, and indeed we struggle through it throughout our faith lives, that question of, well, if I'm supposed to believe in Jesus in order to be saved, what about all those other people? Do they all go to hell? And I remember struggling with that and struggling with that and struggling with that until finally I just realized, you know, Martin, you're not going to figure this out anytime soon. So if you're going to believe in God, you're going to have to believe in God in a way that includes a certain amount of ambiguity because you're not going to figure this out today. My understanding of God had to grow to embrace that moment in my life. And this happens not only with individuals, but it also happens with populations. And we see it in scripture with the Israelites. The earliest writings about the Israelites reflect a very tribal understanding of who God is 
And God very much resembles a parent. God is the one who provides food. God is the one who um, uh, provides fertility. God is the one who is the God of my father and their father. It's a family God. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But then when the Israelites come out of Egypt, they gain a different understanding of who God is. All of a sudden, here they are with no corporate identity in the middle of the wilderness, and God becomes the God of the law, the one who helps them understand how to live together in this new environment. Then as they come to the promised land and they start to come up against these other populations, these other nations, God becomes a warrior God, a God who goes alongside them into battle until they establish their own place to live, their own place among the nations, then God becomes the God of the temple, the God of Jerusalem, the God of Israel, the God of the nation. Each of these understandings reflects a growing and maturing population who have to understand God in their new reality. It's part of being living people and having a living faith that it has to grow, it has to expand, it has to mature. But there are things that can hold us back from maturing. Things like difficult times, worry, anxiety. When we come into times of great anxiety, we are liable to regress to an earlier stage. One of the ways in which we see this is in times of anxiety, you will see that whether it's individuals, congregations, or nations, start longing for a golden age. They start longing for the past. We've probably all known someone like this, someone who feels like they peaked in high school or college. Those were the best days. And you can't have a single drink with them without instantly getting into a conversation about those glory days. Or perhaps one of those guys who wears his shirt undone down to the middle with the white chest hairs coming out and the tight pants driving his Porsche, and you think, ooh, time to let it go. <laughs> when we get anxious, we look to some earlier, better day. Churches do it too. We look back to those days in the 50s and 60s when it seemed like everything was growing, that the Sunday school rooms were full, the nurseries were full. Well, of course they were. We were having tons of babies. But we don't live in the 50s and 60s. We live now. And after a while, it starts to feel like we're clinging to a boulder in the middle of a raging current. At some point, we have to let go and allow the current to take us into whatever future we are heading for. 
We can't hold on to the past if we are going to mature in faith. We have to be able to recognize that the past probably wasn't as glorious as we're making it out to be. The past always looks better in hindsight. Plus, we can't go back anyway. So we might as well live in this world with these people. Another way that we tend to respond to anxiety is we regress to wanting other people to take care of us. When we are young, our parents take care of us. Older siblings watch out for us. Of course they do. We even have laws to make sure they do. We rely on parents for food, for shelter, for life. But then we come into that messy chapter of life known as adolescence, which is that chaotic time between when we and our parents are practically one to becoming differentiated from our parents, to becoming mature adults ourselves. And part of that maturing is the unpleasant task of realizing we've got to stand on our own two feet. We have to learn how to drive. We have to learn how to pay our bills. We have to learn how to find a place to live, how to get a job, how to keep a job, how to take care of health care, blah, blah, blah. No one wants to do that stuff, but we have to if we are going to become mature people, if we are going to become adults in our own right. And here again, we probably know people who have never quite made that jump. People who, for whatever reason, they can't seem to live in their own skin. They always need someone else to provide them with the emotional support they need, with the financial support, with the whatever support it is. They just can't walk on their own two legs. Another way that we sometimes respond to anxiety is to fly under the radar, or maybe more accurately, sit under the radar. In response to complexity and to difficulty, we just go, I'm out. And we hunker down and wait for someone else to figure it out. Just call me when you're done. We let someone else take care of things. And our chief, our, our chief value becomes comfort. One of the congregations I served one of the, whenever we had a new member class, we would, uh, one of the questions we'd ask is, so what drew you to this congregation? And so many times the answer would be, because y'all seem really nice and I feel so comfortable here. And whenever I heard that, I just went, oh. You know, here's someone else who just isn't going to get involved who doesn't quite understand that we have never been called to comfort. Jesus says the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And somehow, I don't think he expected his disciples to get comfortable either. They get sent out on a mission. 
they are sent out to do incredible things, none of which seems to be getting comfortable. Part of maturing in life is coming to the realization that nobody else is going to take care of us. Nobody else is going to take care of things around us. We are the ones who are here. And finally, the other, the last one is another response and response, uh, another way that we respond to anxiety is what I call magical thinking. The idea that somehow everything will work out. Almost every congregation I've served, there have been those two or three givers in the congregation who at the end of the year balance the budget. You're coming up with a $10,000 deficit and council goes, well, you know, I think we'll be all right. Because we all know there's that guy with the checkbook or there's that woman with the checkbook. She's going to write that check and take care of it. Well, mommy and daddy isn't always going to be there. And part of being mature adults is realizing that in the end, things don't magically work out. They work out when we decide to work them out. We can't just assume that, oh, you know, somehow a job will work out. Somehow my kids will raise themselves. Somehow, you know, fill in the blank. Part of maturing is the recognition that, no, we have to make these things happen. We have the power. And maybe that's a lot of what I'm talking about here with all of these. It's the ability to own our power. Because as nice as childhood was, and having someone else take care of our needs, do you remember that glorious feeling when you got your driver's license? And all of a sudden, you could go places without having to ask mom and dad. Do you remember that wonderful sense of independence when you got your first apartment and were living on your own and you felt like you were becoming a real honest-to-God human being? There are these moments of joy and fulfillment as we become these mature adults and we realize that we have the power to make changes We don't have to, in the words of John Mayer, you know, wait for the world to change. We can change the world. In fact, we are called to be change agents. If we really believe that this stuff is real, that there really is a God, and that God has given us a mission and a purpose, if we really believe that God has not on, that is not only transforming heaven and earth, but has invited us to be part of that process, to take part in that redemptive work, 
then how can we not invest ourselves in that? Can you think of any greater purpose, any greater reason for being here than that? But in order to live into that reality, we have to be mature enough to recognize that we have the power to make change in this world. It doesn't matter if there's just five of us or if there's 5,000 of us. We get anxious when numbers go down and, and, and we think, oh my gosh, we have to get more people in here. Why do we have to get more people in here? So that they'll pay the bills. So they'll balance the budget. But we were never called to balance the budget. We were never called to fill up this place. We were never called to take care of this institution. We were called to see what God is doing in the world and to give witness to that. And like I said, we can do that with five people or we can do that with 5,000 people. But we can't do it unless we see clearly the God who is leading us into that new future. We can't do it unless we are mature enough to recognize that God has given us the gifts we need to be the church here and now. That we have the resources, we have the power to not be helpless in a world that oftentimes makes us feel helpless. Does it feel like government is dysfunctional or corrupt? We can make a difference. Does it feel like healthcare is, is, is lopsided and too complicated and abusive? We can make a difference. Does it feel like people, people are being discriminated against? We can make a difference. We are not helpless. We are not children. We are adults in Christ. We are disciples. We can make the difference. Amen.